0: Abe here, and I wanted to let you know that if you're able, you can upgrade your Small Beans skill over at patreon.com slash small beans. Here's why you should do that. If you pledge five measly beans a month, you get access to about half our podcasts that you don't get if you're just listening to the free feed. Shows include Star Trek The Next Futurama, Spielboys, like Razor Blade Pie, and bonus episodes of I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours. Not to mention bonus content, including info and updates on the movie we're making, pop there. Hey, where's all the reasons to not subscribe to Patreon? I can't find them. Anyway, back to the show.
1: I got the finky stingies.
0: What the I got, hell does
1: that mean? I got, I got the, I got, I'm like slowly building them guitar calluses, my guy.
0: Oh yeah.
1: I got babies. the finky stingies.
0: Oh, they stingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your finky, <laughs> my yeah, Oh, yeah. Well, what a time to be alive for Isn't Adam it? Ganser trying new hobbies. I
1: sent a guitar pick. Somebody, asked if to, uh, who was it? It might have been to Swain. Swain was like, "What is your new guitar like?" I sent him a picture of it, and he was like, "Oh fuck yeah!" <laughs> it's like, you know, I was like, you know, like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm really doing that, it. I'm really middle aging in it right now, that, real hard." That's so ex- yeah, yeah. This yeah.
0: is this is some dire straits, my man. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you, you you're reinventing yourself. You're gonna, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me tell hats you what. It, yeah. Let me tell you
1: what, or ask
0: you what are what's your feeling right now on leather
1: jackets? <laughs> I don't think I would wear one because I've never worn one. Uh uh-huh. like I just don't, you know. But like if I was to slim down, I feel like one would appear instantly on my shoulders. Like I feel, oh, yeah. you know, like I yeah. it, it's, I wouldn't even have a choice. It would just be there suddenly.
0: You'd just be rebel ganser <laughs> who can play guitar and all the ladies swoon. <laughs> yeah, Are you liking baby. this? Are you I'm it? loving
1: this. This yeah. reinvention. Uh, this yeah, it this is. bizarre like anti Henry Winkler thing that I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going yeah. the opposite way that he went. So uh, fucking cool. I know. So fucking cool. I thought Timeless, you'd like it. Man. Anyway, this is, a, this is Director of Peace Theater. This yes, middle age crisis has not much to do with it. I just needed you all to know that my fingies are stinging. <laughs> I'm Adam Ganser. <laughs> and with me is my saturated, just stubby, call- calloused-fingered friend. Yeah, uh, hardened
0: by years of playing... Cool guitar Abe so right? cool. Epperson. Yep. Um, yeah, man. We're guitar playing fools mm-hmm. and also directors of yeah, we are the film medium. Uh and we talk about movies. Usually we movies do. that you wouldn't expect are like, oh wow, some thought went into that. That mm-hmm. wasn't just fun. That was thoughtful. Or, you know, at least <laughs> you like <laughs> That's what we movie hope. stuff. Yeah. That's what we hope. That's what we're here. going
1: for. I'm gonna say something that Abe will not be even a little bit surprised to hear. You ready? Like, yeah. You ready for up? this? This is the first time I ever watched White House Down.
0: Yeah, you know, very first
1: uh, time. I, 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 what'd you think? I mean, honestly, kind of good. Not bad, right? Kind of, kind no, kind of a good movie. Like, uh, and I, I mean, instantly could tell the the thing that you're gonna talk about. It was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. instantly apparent yeah. to me. Uh, but I'm not opposed to movies that are overtly templating a good movie. I'm not opposed yeah, to it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I think that that's the right opinion about it. I mean,
0: it's like, I think some people uh, will feel like, basically what I'm talking about today is how the uh, the movie White House Down, starring uh, Chaney Tatum and Jamie Foxx, yeah, and Richard Jenkins. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: James Woods. James Woods. Yep. And Jason Clark. And Maggie. And Maggie uh, uh, Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal, who I love, by the way, I really like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How that is a uh, diehard. It's 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 a diehard. I think that that if anyone who follows the White House down trades online, <laughs> <is> a white <laughs> a, a whitehead down. Oh yeah. Um, you know they they'll. They'll realize something very quickly, which is uh, that this is all they w- this is all that's talked about online about this movie. So I wanted to do a slightly different take, which is not just a plot summary, although we will talk about how they are similar um, in so many ways, like you said, but also that there is a kind of um, strategy to the madness, specifically uh, with, with the visual camera and such, Love yeah. It. Love it so So, much. Something that, you know, my internet friends don't necessarily do at the beginning of their arguments, which is define terms. So if I'm going to make the outrageous claim that White House Down is in fact diehard, I need to explain, I feel, or it needs to be agreed. Prove that. Prove that (laughs) by starting and asking the question what is a diehard?
1: You could spend years on that question.
0: You can spend decades. Yeah. In fact, I I will in this, this podcast. <laughs> this is now is. 10 years long. Uh. Uh, yeah, so if you haven't seen Die Hard, but you probably have, I mean, I don't know how much you're going to get out of the podcast if you haven't, but uh, it's fun to hear us two yuck yucks, flapper, yappers. Yeah. Um, Die Hard is about John McClane. He's a plainclothes average Joe cop with uh, issues of authority. He's got a strange marriage, and he's got a will to save his family during the course of the movie, and they find themselves locked in a terrorist plot slash heist, where they must single-handedly infiltrate and destroy all threats, ending in uh, face-off with the main villain, or head honcho, as it's called (laughs) in the biz. Yes,
1: that's the the main term they put. Usually, they'll put it in parentheses in a screenplay, head Um, honcho,
0: yeah. So, but more than just like characters and plot consideration, um, like the original Die Hard, which was directed by the OG John McTiernan. You're a lover that you love. I love him so much. You do. Uh, there's also something that like, I think that a lot of people don't give credit to where they, he used camera and editing techniques that at the time were very rare in action movies. Um, and it used specifically, uh, movement and depth cues throughout action and chase sequences. And these techniques were adopted almost immediately after that movie came out in 1998 and it defined and refined action movies all throughout the nineties and the two thousands all the way to this day. Although obviously, you know. That we've come a long way. There's a lot of film grammar being thrown around at this point, especially in that genre. Yes, ni- 1988.
1: Just be, that's what you meant. 1988 is when Die Hard came. 1988. Yeah, on. yeah. Sorry,
0: no, um, no. a lot of them are on display today. These techniques and these things. I think the film grammar of movies has, you know, kind of focused on things like movies like Die Hard and said, "Hey, that's a really good idea. That's a really fun way to do that." Now, it's not the first movie to do these tricks, uh, nor is it the last, and it's not necessarily the best, but I'd argue it's seminal in the tradition of the modern blockbuster.
1: Oh, absolutely. Can I just briefly say, I don't think there's a movie that's been imitated more ever than Die Hard. 2001, maybe? Whoa. Yeah, I mean, techniques have been pulled from 2001 a lot, but like as a template for a movie... It's Die Hard's It's pretty bankable, important. Yeah, yeah. Like we're, it's, we're it's still like, making them. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a. It's a good point though. Yeah. Um And in that, I mean, this the year that White House Down came out. There was another Die Hard that was Olympus is Fallen. Yes. But that's like pretty trash. And this is like kind of the better one. Yeah. Even though it's right. like the, I would argue Safeway Select version of it. Uh, just because it's like kind of, I don't know, it doesn't feel as big, it doesn't feel as spectacular,
1: which is amazing to say. (laughs) I know because it's in the White House, locking down the White House, and they're Uh, launching missiles from the roof. I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, man.
0: And as I mentioned, the internet loves to talk about this exact argument. It was even marketed as diehard in the White House, like they knew what they were doing. Yeah. And, um, there's a whole conversation, which you zeroed in on, about dressed up remakes and lack of originality in modern movies. But today I want to talk through why White House Down at times is just as enjoyable as like a Die Hard 1, 2, or 3. Um, and my goal is to point out and kind of dissect what's happening from that camera and editing perspective and how that makes you, the audience member, feel like you're kind of having a great time. Uh, and th- it's just a theory of mine that when you combine these camera and editing uh tricks you feel the momentum of and you feel the space in a way that you start to care about the care about the people who are walking around so obviously it's the scenes are memorable the characters are bangers you know die hard has so many things going for it that are is likable that isn't just like oh the camera is in a certain place but i would argue that it is an important part of the process um and White House Down I think is a great diehard even if it's a PG-13 because how? of uh how that's how it? we make m- yeah it's so funny That, that doesn't does make sense a- there's a scene where Jason Clark this is a spoiler for for White House Down uh has a ring of grenades around his head and Chaney e. Tatum pulls a pin and says no jail for you bitch <laughs> right loved before it he explodes loved it immediately which is like i was like this is PG-13 I don't know what these terms are. I mean don't even know anymore. what the... Yeah,
1: these are just letters and numbers that are thrown at me at yeah, random exactly. now. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, if they had uh, said it was NC-17, I'd have been like, that doesn't seem bloody enough. But I wouldn't have gone way right. out of my head if I heard that. Yeah.
0: You know? I mean, yeah. Yeah. We're one more Total Recall <laughs> uh, remake from a
1: G-rated Verhoeven film. Can, um, can I just make, like, one other observation? I This movie yeah, did they, a thing very e- very easily that I think was actually a huge bar to clear, which is proving that Channing Tatum could be a John McClane.
0: Right. Like, I don't think he's that he's was too a slam handsome dunk. Yeah. And he's like a, he almost feels like a more kin to the Schwarzenegger types. You know, even though he is a comedian and stuff, he's just picturesque body, not an average Joe. I wasn't real sure. Vibe.
1: Yeah. Like, so the counterpart movie Olympus Fallen has, um, the guy from Three Hundred, uh, Gerard, Gerard Butler in the in the John McClane role, uh-huh. and he is he's too much. He's too action hero. Like that's a problem that the movie has. I would say, right? Channing Tatum slides right in there, man. Like like he like, really like so many granite does. countertops that he's dodging bullets on. He's just he's right. Just sliding right into our hearts.
0: Yeah, he's a little clever, little you know, kind of like the John McClanes yeah. of the world. You know, yeah, it's just like oh, man, just kind of moping around. Figuring his way out, yeah,
1: kind you know, of bro-ish, but not in a way that bothers yeah. me.
0: Yeah, it's definitely you know? in vogue these days. Yeah, and he's got a he's got a brand he's gonna worry about, but like, yeah, he plays what he plays well. I think about in terms of the John McClane ness of it all and the Bruce Willis ness of it all is he plays strained, viscerally. Like, yes, you he can does. feel it. Yeah, when he's like, oh man, I don't want to do that, or ah, oh, my my foot is fucking, you know, full of. Glass and whatnot, like it really he plays that aspect of McLean really well.
1: No one's um, ever gonna have quite the right majust of uh of i mean of Bruce willis's like put upon thing that I love so much. Yeah. Like his, just a, come on, man! Like just the grumbly daddy swagger. Yeah, there's right. He's yeah. a, like right because he seemed like he was fifty years old, even though he was probably like what thirty five when Die Hard was made. Yeah, getting too old for everything. All this shit. All shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. all shit.
0: yeah, I mean that's Bruce Willis's brand. Like even right. to even when he got even when he uh, has been old as fuck, he, he has always felt like he had senioritis, and that yeah. was like a
1: thing. Harrison Ford too. It was the eighties. That's true. I think they were always learning guitar, just perennially learning (laughs) guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Slam dunk.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I, I, so as I've mentioned several times that so far I've like taken a look at the White House, uh, down uh, what the internet has to say on it, and I want to, I want to read some, some, uh, things that the, uh, the, the viewers uh, have. And lovers of White House Down have written down on the Wikia. That's right. There's a website for the lore of White House Down that's, and that's just wonderful. White House Down. Thank you. It's great. I, I want to know the person who created it. I want to know the person who wakes up every day and checks it and makes sure it's still up. And uh, yeah. The webmaster of the White House Down Wikia, I, please reach out. I would like to be your friend. <laughs> Meet Abe. <laughs> Meet me. I hope you like it. Yeah. I hope you like it. I hope you like it. Um, So obviously there's this is kind of like I'm tongue in cheek because I think if you've seen either or both movies, you'll probably, you know, be able to scan this fairly easily. But I thought it would be funny to kind of show how similar they are, right? right? Because sometimes you kind of just let the movie gloss you over. And you go, okay, yeah, yeah, I see the similarities structurally and all that. And he's like, no, let's get real specific. All right, let's start with some of the easy shit. The main character is both named John. (laughs) In fact, White House Down, his name is John Kale. That's an M, C, and an N away from McLean. I just want, they don't even give a fuck. They're just like, John, I don't know. Fucking <laughs>
1: McHale. Uh, just really m- quickly. McHale. Did, did you copy this exactly from the Wikia? Oh, yes. Definitely. Yeah, I this love is that all copy- somebody wrote that down. Like, look how fucking simple it is. And just writing down yep. that phrase. Anyway, please continue. Uh,
0: they're obviously both everyday cops. They jump into action to save others because the right thing to do. They're both this off duty and in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> They have strained marriages and eventually have a divorce, but will do anything to save a family member. Uh, And also children both call uh, them by their first name, not dad. Oh my God. They both have scenes about that. They both have obviously trouble with authority. And that's like one of the reasons that they can't advance as a cop or in the case of uh, John Cale, it's he can't get into the secret service. Uh, (laughs) both uh, take a severe beating by the revenge-driven terrorist before they win the fight, so they both get their ass kicked. This one's my favorite. Both wear dark gray khakis and bloodstained white tank tops, but end up in a dirty white shirt at the end of the film. Yeah,
1: that was the thing that seemed like so nakedly transparent, what they were doing. It was so, yeah. yeah. It was like, dude, you stole the outfit. Come on now. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh,
0: McLean performs amateur surgery by removing glass from his own wound. Mm. Everyone knows that famous mm-hmm. scene. Kale, in this movie, performs amateur surgery by taking glass out of the president's wound, uh, president played by Jamie Foxx. Uh, toward the end of Die Hard, John McLean only has two bullets left, raising the stakes. There's a little scene where he counts the bullets. In White House Down, John Kale announces he has three bullets left <laughs> uh, at literally the same, like, you know, marker in the screenplay, like on the same page that's basically, unreal. at this point uh, in die Hard, John McHale takes a bad guy's walkie talkie after killing him and uses it to spy on the terrorist. And that's it. Same thing happens in white house down uh, Hans Gruber in die hard cowers in fear and pretends to be a hostage in order to not be shot. That's a big uh, beat in act three for die hard. Um, and he's actually turns out to be the main villain. White House down, John Cale cowers in fear and pretends to be a hostage in order to not be shot, despite the fact that he's actually a hero. So they do a little swapperoo on you, which I thought was nice. Uh, rarely does this m- movie do the zigzag
1: kind of thing. They're usually just like, "Yeah, what did Die Hard
0: do? Yeah, 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 yeah." Put that in. there. They split one or two <laughs> things
1: across uh, to. They they gave a few things to the president too, mm-hmm. like one or yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both heroes hide, uh,
0: behind, hide from the terrorists behind a metal grate and cock the hammer of the gun on the pistol. So (laughs) if they're discovered, they have it ready to fire, which I know is not true about guns, but that's, that's movie knowledge. Literally that, that shot happens in both movies and we see a crony at one point. Fire wildly with a machine gun to check if uh, one of the Johns is behind a door or a couch. Uh, so it's just like scenes. It's not just like big overarching things like, okay, so they have a, a strained relationship with their wife and daughter. It's like, also, there's a sh- literal shot of like an elevator, and we're looking down it, and they're climbing it, and it's like it yeah, looks that was the same. another
1: yeah. It it makes you feel and um, I this is almost certainly true. They wrote down a list of here are all the important iconic I think some things of we got to do. We got to do all they of them. Did. Yeah, right? I think
0: they did, and there's a ton of them. There is even more. I've only read like half of them. Some of them are just a little esoteric and nonsense, you know. But like stuff like. They feature a building being blown up as a part of the plot, you know? At one point there is a uh, helicopter that tries to shoot, mistakenly shoots at the hero, thinking they're going to like, oh, you that's an enemy. That's one of the terrorists. That's but right. He's like, no, don't shoot at me. And yeah. then that plane or that helicopter then explodes like immediately after that realization. They hide on top of elevators, etc. They almost get crushed by an elevator. Um, it's it's these kinds of things that just—it's like wow. No, it's obviously it's not just intentional, but it's just amazing that that you can get away with this kind of shit. And I, you know, as I said before, some people can argue this is borderline. Is this even homage at this point, or is this just straight up copying? Um, Um, no, I mean
1: it's not homage. I I feel like I feel like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm willing to say that. I like I. So like I don't want to derail your argument much, but I was... no, no, not at all. My thought is this is on the level of Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think the, the the thing that makes Force Awakens such a such a tragic thing in film history, despite it, the fact that it could have been exciting, is that not only did it not it honor the story of the ori- of the original trilogy, right? It also repeated it beat for beat. You know, like in a very right. insulting way. And, like, I, I don't think Die Hard is as sacred for movie audiences as Star Wars is. Um, although I think it's every bit as important, honestly. Uh, I think that we're all kind of okay with them copying the template. So it doesn't bother me, but it's not homage. Like, it's it's copying it for the entertainment value of it, I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd say that that's fair.
1: I hold nothing sacred, so I don't give a shit.
0: Sure, but, of course. I, mean, I understand that some people are like, yeah, this is fucked. Uh,
1: And I think that that's a valid opinion. Well, it's just Um, like, you know, you always hope there will be another McTiernan who makes another Die Hard, only it's not Die Hard. It's a whole other thing you couldn't have imagined. That's the dream of movies.
0: That's the dream, baby. And and talking about my McT... uh, (laughs) Sweet McT... I want to talk about how (laughs) that man, the director of Die Hard, brought in a lot of, like, Almost invisible, unless you're looking for it. Things that you're not really supposed to notice, like, oh, wow, the, the dolly is sympathetic or something like that. Um, uh, you know, or like the colors do this. Small, invisible things are also prevalent. Roland Emmerich, the director of White House Down, I think has a lot. It's tough to say because I think that he, as a director, even when you look at something like Independence Day, uh, or Moonfall, you know, well, like yeah. he has these tendencies to do a kind of mimicry of the blockbuster b- form, which McTiernan was huge in, like, cre- creating, like, whether or not he wanted to, creating kind of some strategies and how to shoot action sequences or how to keep the momentum and the pacing and the rhythm feel right. Um, and so I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit about like what McTiernan did during
1: Die Hard and how it was kind of also mimicked in White House Dance. What's, what's interesting to me is that if I was going to cast any of the blockbuster filmmakers of that time period to mm. remake a McTiernan movie, basically, like to like, uh, I don't know that I would have picked Roland Emmerich. I don't think so either. I think he has a. Yeah, he's actually I an, think an it's a, of a specific different. thing. Which is yeah. he's really good at the. Here's 15 different stories that all orbit this one big natural disaster right. thing. He's the best at that. Yeah, you know, yeah, he
0: he. he it's his bread and butter, and Die Hard isn't. It's that. the opposite it's very of that. personal. Yes, yeah. it's
1: extremely personal and intimate in in the scope of an, a a medium sized catastrophe. You know. Yeah. Anyway, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's more of personal stakes matter more.
1: Right. So it's a funny um, movie for him to be doing, actually, when you think about it.
0: I Yeah, it, although camera-wise and a lot of strategies therein, we will find, I think, actually, there is some similarity. Okay. That's interesting. So I wonder how much is intentional, like, Roland Emmerich knowing he's doing a Die Hard and going, I'm going to take these strategies from Die Hard, or he's just like, as a director, it makes sense to do this with camera during this ch- section or this shot or the sequence. So I can't tell you. I'm not a Roland right. Emmerich. I don't even know if he knows Not yet. because I don't think that that's how movies are made. Um but I saw the movies. I noticed them and now I'm talking about them in front of a microphone. <laughs> now I'm saying them, saying the movies. So so you can say it with me if you, if you follow me along Adam. Yeah. You know what Abe likes? Abe likes to talk about lines. You love
1: it. You
0: love it so I much. I love lines. The most important and underrated aspect of the visual language is lines <laughs> uh and so much like Die Hard's stairwells the white house kind of operates with a lot of corners and t intersections um and it's a kind of a simple movement that we see happen time and time again in both films where subjects go around a corner or change a direction mid-shot like they're going left to right and then they're continuing left to right, but now it's, like, away from camera instead of toward camera. Stuff like that. Little small nuances of uh, shape, shape shifts. And uh, it, the reason I think that that is done by a lot of filmmakers for just, oh, that's a good shot, is because it means that it feels like a simplistic, it's almost like the itemized, like, simplistic, how do you make a compound shot? Well, a compound shot is something with one background... And then something happens to the camera or to the movement of the subjects in the camera. And now I have a completely different background or a completely different type of shot. And so it's just the simple transmutation that happens. And what we get is just let's fill up the movie with a bunch of T intersections, have people turn a corner. Now you have a different background completely with a different vanishing point. It's just a great thing. Something that geographically both movies do. So let me talk a little bit more specifically about this. In these sections in particular there's a production design element I want to mention in white house down Die Hard uses diagonal leading lines, like the handrails, think the handrails of the staircases, the industrial design of like uh, the tower, mm. like rooms that are currently in construction that have like these diagonals that draw us to a vanishing point or multiple vanishing points in the shot. Um, this is kind of basically customized by McTiernan. In order to make the leading lines uh, in McTiernan's vision very pronounced, and it's probably what informed why they chose that space in general is they were like, "Let's, I want to see that strong diagonal. I want to see that, you know, like leading line that goes either." he's at the bottom of it and my, 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 eye goes right to it or he's at the top of it or outside it. What does that mean? And he's going to play with it in different ways, which are, all seems fairly obvious. Now in white house down the white house has a lot of white walls with little to no breaking up of the walls other than like, you know, just some random paintings or a, a vase or something like that. Every few feet. Um, So you don't really have as strong of these diagonals to draw the eye everywhere, but what you do get, and if you watch the movie and you just look at it, almost any hallway in the the white house, um, there's these little insets uh, every few feet, like a little like boundary wall that happens with the wall. That's just kind of like this inset piece of wood that just kind of breaks up. So the walls feel like they're not all one continuous, like whitewash, but rather like, at you know every eight feet this is a little section and there's a little section so you have these repetitive kind of boxes that occur in every hallway that you see in this movie which is kind of effectively doing the same thing or a very similar thing to the to the diagonal lines because it's like in every hallway a design feature of the actual style of the white house uh When you look down those hallways, you see these repeated box outlines down all the way to the vanishing point. So even though you don't get that strong diagonal, you do get the sense of a vanishing point, which is the goal, I think, of a lot of diagonal lines in movies. It's not as drastic of a depth cue as you'll remember in our... uh in our in our visual story class at USC, of course I, think I do. We both took the yeah. uh, the diagonal diagonal line is one of the strongest depth cues right. that there exists in uh, in you know painting in film, but it's a visual design indicator nonetheless. I would argue, um, and it's used a lot in this movie. So, there's no doubt, even though by you, the way. there's no doubt, yeah. and, I, and
1: I would say like uh, in a lot of ways. Just the selection of the building in Die Hard lent lent itself to. I mean, I don't. It's like a chicken or the egg question. Like, is McTiernan right. interested in the diagonal lines, or did he select this building that sort of had so many modern architecture lines in it, and that led to this decision? Right. Was
0: it more of like. He wanted to say something about like, yeah, it's these kinds of towers at the, t- you know, like we use a lot of modernist yeah. or brutalist stuff right now because we go like, yeah, the open design of like cubicles or, you know, something like that. We have, he may have just been making a commentary on like the Naktomi plazas of the world and they just happen to look like that. Or he could have been like, I want to pick a space that specifically like, the shape is oppressive, you know?
1: Well, I mean, and he certainly succeeds. I think it's interesting that they managed to get so many van- vanishing points in the White House, which, like, despite it being right. so big and, like, so many floors and stuff, is a lot of big, wide-open rooms, really. You know yeah. what I mean? Or rooms yeah. that have, like, they almost feel like they would belong better in a Wes Anderson movie, because like, there's lots of, like, flats, uh, yeah, like... Like, almost like you're cutting the deep space in half with other doors and stuff.
0: You right, know? yeah, it's kind of, yeah, unique and pretty. And all this stuff was built, by the way, because, you know... You of course, shoot. yeah, right, right. Nothing nothing even looks like the White House, and if it did, you couldn't shoot there because it's super expensive. So they just built it, which is kind of impressive... And that kind of does explain the role in the Emmerich. Of yeah, all that's the money, right? Exclusive. He's so good at studio stuff, and that's the le- <laughs> that's the level of control if, that he has,
1: which is what, why he probably visually designed it that way. What if it was as stupid as like, have we? Do we have a director who can blow up the White House? And they're like, Independence. I Day. hope so. <laughs> I hope so. He's just like.
0: Or it's just like the script gets written and then Roland Emmerich just calls the writer or Something He's like, How'd you get my number? He's like, I heard you wrote a st- I heard you wrote a page. I gotta I'm get Roland in
1: Emmerich. on that. <laughs> I'm
0: I'm Roland Emmerich. I'm like Batman, but with the White House. <laughs> gotta blow it and up. I will be I will be the director. <laughs> uh yeah, so Roland Emmerich does his thing. And uh so in so let's like you know, just run with it like uh, the the very concept that these leading lines or, or these uh, cons- not concentric, but repeating kind of squares do the same kind of thing to your eye when you're looking down a hallway with a camera in a random position, let's say. Um, so this the kind of things that they do with this and there's several different ones, but two big buckets that both directors use and the reason they use these d- systems is that they lead your eye to an exit. So, where John McClane or John Cale is walking around and trying to get away from someone or trying to get to somewhere or avoid someone, it's like almost always in both which is not true of all blockbusters who use diagonal lines like this. Like it's like this is where you go, my friend. Like if it's almost like a kind of instruction manual for the John McClanes. You know, to be like, go to the empty space, go to where the edge is going, go. If you're walking away from camera, go to the vanishing point. If you're walking from the vanishing point, walk toward camera. Um, Empty space is your friend. So. That's one technique that they use. The other one that they use with these diagonal lines or these uh, vanishing points in the same vein is confinement of our John McClane's. Often it's used to show that he's stuck. This will be done by literally boxing him in. Just think of in Die Hard, the vent shot or the elevator sequences where John McClane is literally in the middle of all these lines that lead to the vanishing point and we look straight down them what does that remind you of? Well, it reminds you of confinement because he's got all these squares that are literally oppressively uh, upon him. I mean, that one is uh, uh, specifically obvious because the vent is literally right there. So it's like a wider angle shot and it kind of allows that to happen, but it's the same technique. It's the same idea of if you put them inside the boxes or the diagonal lines, now you basically have a little prison. So it's, where are you going and also how uh how the space can be oppressive that's what that's why people are like oh yeah diagonal lines that's a good idea that's why directors like lines is does stuff like that um let's talk a little bit about screen direction because i kind of want to talk about one of the bigger aspects about both movies is i think that a reason why it feels like these feel like fun blockbusters as opposed to stale or boring blockbusters is because the momentum and the rhythm and the pacing of the film, which is not just editing. It's also camera and it's also screen direction because you need to have a continuous when you edit, where's my eye going? That all feels clean. And you're not like, where do I look? You're like taken for a ride. It's all you're manipulated effectively.
1: They used to call that in our, in our visual expression class, continuity of eye movement which is a complicated way of saying it it costs your eye less energy it costs you less energy as a viewer to Mm -hmm. have everything moving one direction between shots and cuts and stuff because you feel it feels comfortable like you're being sort of guided Mm -hmm. down the the momentum of the movie exactly whereas if you have to if your eye has to jump to catch the the key piece of any shot, right? The key focal point of any shot. And you have to jump around a bunch, you feel tension from the, yeah. the energy being expended there. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: I always think of it as like just little breadcrumbs. Basically, you want to make sure yeah. you you want to make sure that you're cutting out a hole for the eye. Right. Um, And whatever you're doing, whatever distracts the eye, because, because you can, you can have perfect screen direction, but then the second that you have a bright light in one of your shots on the other side of the screen now, Everyone, because we're simple fucking monkeys, we just go, oh, bright light. You know, and so now you've fucked your continuity. So it's also not just what you're doing and how you're leading the eye, but what you're not doing and how, how you're not making distractions. Um, and I want to point out one thing in, about screen direction that I thought that was pretty effectively uh, done in White House Down, which is that in the first like initial assault, there's a sequence where like Jason Clark, who's not, who's like the, you know, he's like the Carl character essentially of Die Carl. Hard. He's the right hand man of the Hans Gruber, basically, yep. and he leads to, uh he is. They're the the first wave. They kind of infiltrate the White House by acting like a, 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 a tech crew for the or an AV crew for like the, the theater, uh, for the, the cinema, the movie yeah. theater, yeah, right, <clears throat> but. Jason Clark kind of leads a handful of terrorists as he like shoots down individual guards with the silenced pistol one by one. And these are just like security guards. They're not like SWAT team or anything like that. And this sequence features right to left or left to right, depending on the action, because it's like, okay, there's a guard there. There's a guard there. So screen direction does flip around, but everything pushes you towards camera. And it usually does it while, while Dolly's back sympathetically, which is something I'll talk about a little bit later. But the idea is that the world collectively in the edited sequence is opening up for them room by room. They're always coming at camera, which is much how the same sequence was filmed with Hans Gruber's initial assault. They break through the front and walk toward the camera as they reach the top floor. It's a nice way of showing like, their control of the space. It's cool shots because you have these like low angle dollies while they're walking at camera, they look in control, they look powerful. And it's almost like they there's things behind you, the audience member, who's the camera at this point, who are like, I don't know what's about. I don't know what we're going to see next, but they aren't afraid of it. And it's this kind of simple kind of system that really is obeying simple screen direction. Coming at camera versus, you know, if they he, he just threw one shot where they're walking away from camera. It, it would have fucked, fucked it your up, brain yeah. up. And he, they didn't. Both movies chose to do that moment. We're going to do this
1: type of thing.
0: And it's a good way to do that thing. It, it's also... They, they have similar music as well. well you know, it's... it's are it's doing it, it.
1: It's also yeah. uh, a, a good way of adding diagonal lines when you don't have yep. a diagonal space in the White House. Right? Because you... When you're looking up at stuff, first of all, there's a diagonal line that's being created by the physical body of the person, and right. the actual lines of the ceiling or floor change to become diagonal exactly. because of the perspective
0: that is true yeah. both i I should have wrote that down, and it's very smart it's almost of like you, like you to did point out uh i I didn't write the including not if you just lied think think a little bit when you watch movies if if you just lied uh if you watch movies. Most movies don't involve the ceilings. Not uh, much. But ceilings are very effective because it costs a lot of money doing to shoot. The exact a ceiling. thing you said. Yeah, and it's hard. You got a boom pole over there. And well, stuff. there's that, yeah. and
1: also, mo- I mean, like if we're being frank, and this is like a quick detour. Most movies are shot on a soundstage, right? Like most mm. movies are not shot on location; they're shot on a soundstage, and a soundstage don't they don't have ceilings. You have to physically right. build the ceiling if you want to see it. So, like. They choose to avoid ceilings so that they don't have to build it, you know? Um, this movie decided we are going to build the ceilings and see them often, uh, which I would say was a good decision, but maybe even just for the purpose of the diagonal lines. Who can
0: say? Who can say? And speaking about things that you have seen uh camera and what what you see and what you don't, I think a, a big thing that a lot of these two movies usually live and die in... Whereas I'd say a blockbuster movie is like a Michael Bay movie. I mean, he does his share of telephoto lenses, but these, a diehard truly lives in the mid range yeah. telephoto. Yeah. Um, and it's more of like, you know, a 50. is that, what does that mean? Is that a 50? Is that a 70? Or whatever. It's more than anything that diehard chose to avoid wide lenses in very particular cases. There's some close ups that are wide, you know um like the one i mentioned of mclean in the vent um have a few laughs but for the most part he wanted the world to feel again oppressive against the character and if you're not in a small space it's kind of hard to do that if you're on a wide lens because you just feel the background expansively so you reverse that by truncating the background and compressing the space. And that's just a natural effect of choosing a longer lens set. The simplest way to do that is to live on something like a 50 instead of a 35. Um, so it, while he can't be super telephoto, like an 80 millimeter or 100 millimeter, because then you get no sense of geography, um, you just get the sense of like a small wall behind the character. Uh, a small piece of the wall, and which is no good for these kinds of movies. I mean, sometimes you get a uh, you know close up like that it might have been shot on an eighty or whatever. But when we're using, when I'm talking about the two shots or the shots of them traversing the spaces, um, there's nothing like that. There's no super telephoto. Or there's no wides, and I think the key here is that both of the movies were like. Let's avoid why wider lengths like the 20s to 35s. Which, if you look at other blockbusters that That's are action very rare, movies, very rare. It, they it's like Ridley Scott, like um, Michael Bay. Even even though he loves to have that mid-range telephoto whipping around, circling around everyone, like they will use wide all the time because it, every move is more drastic, more yeah. visual, real. Adds states. to drama it yeah. adds it adds to just the drasticness of like oh the fr- like when he swings that sword and you're on a wider lens that sword feels co- like it moves coloss- colossally through all the frame Where if you were to put on a different lens that were tighter it would just whip through the frame and you'd be like oh that wasn't that crazy move but it just it feels bigger so um they did not do that. And I think that that's an interesting aspect.
1: It is interesting because, like, the other advantage to wide angle lenses, a thing I love, I shoot in a wide angle lens all the time, is that it gives you more room to physically work in. Yeah. Because you don't have to be as far away from the subject. To film right. an action movie in a mid length lens, like a 50, means I have to maintain a much larger distance from the subject to film it, mm-hmm. which means I just don't have as much range of motion. In my set, as I would if I was on a twenty-five or a right. fifteen or whatever, you know.
0: And it, but you can build these sets like exactly. So did. that's the choice
1: they're yeah. building sets to accommodate that, which is interesting.
0: If you remember us talking about uh, the Thirty Days of Night uh, podcast uh, or the director piece theater on that, we talked about a lot of like distance from wall for lighting considerations. So it's not just. So we're talking. He's now having to fight a battle on two fronts, the director that is, because they have they're now forced themselves to back away from the subject, but they also still have to maintain that the subject is not against walls, because that would look bad from a lighting perspective. In other words, they've doubled the amount of space that if they were to use something like a 25 millimeter lens. They w- it would be a lot easier to accomplish in a smaller space, like you mentioned. It would be
1: physically impossible to get the angles they're spaces. getting. Yeah, in the actual White House.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, with like the actual White House is dimensions. way smaller. Yeah, that's it right. It would have to be. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. Yeah. So let's talk about. We've talked about screen direction, and we've talked about kind of like how we. Uh, how we're kind of using camera here. Another thing that I think is important is I mentioned momentum. And I also mentioned sympathetic dollies, which is a term that I don't know how that's, I don't think that that's a very, um, like popular or used term in Hollywood. I don't really know, but it is one that, um, John McTiernan used a lot when he talked about diehard is he said that he wanted to create something he considers a sympathetic dolly. And what he describes is that is that, um, it's basically maintaining the same speed across different sequences. So if you like someone's on a walkie talkie and they talk to, and we get a shot of the first person talking and it cuts to the other person listening and talking, it's like, how do I make, Maintain the momentum through the scene. Well, I could just set up a camera and shoot two close ups of two people talking on walkie talkies, which is how a lot of action movies do it. Um, but that's not how McTiernan and, and in this film, Roland Emmerich does it. What he does is he tries to use like a little creep, not too fast, not too slow, just enough to move the background. and then make sure that when you jump to the other location and shoot that shot that will edit with it, you are moving at almost identically the same speed. And you need to dial it in because once again, he's fighting that telephoto lens. You feel dollies less the longer the lens is because the feeling that dollies give you comes from this aspect of visual design called parallax. The idea that uh, things... behind the subject and in front of the subject, move at different speeds. Um, That gives you the sense of depth. And if you're on a telephoto, more telephoto lens, you are destroying those depth cues because that parallax is not felt at all. So if you're on a 50 and you want to do the sympathetic dolly, you're probably moving like, you know, 15 feet, 20 feet. And it only feels like you've moved six feet. So you got to dial in these drastic dolly moves on the day and then maintain it elsewhere. And that's just like, wow, that's kind of um, that's a lot of des- uh, visual design for just a small little thing like I want there to be some amount of movement on this close up shot or something like that. It's but true it's all over the place.
1: And yet you see it in a lot of blockbuster filmmaking like, even like Chris Nolan, for instance, we've talked about this on the. Nolan is
0: a unique one, but I would say that you, Night in episode. blockbusters, you see side to side.
1: Yes. Not as much on the Z axis. Up in
0: Z axis,
1: yeah. Yeah, not as much on the Z axis.
0: Although Nolan is a Z axis boy, that's for he sure. He loves it.
1: Yeah. It, well, and I think that he might have learned that from McTiernan, where like. I think so. And also, I think that Christopher Nolan, and I'm not talking about Oppenheimer because we haven't seen that yet, but uh, I think Chris Nolan understands that. The other advantage to sympathetic dolly movement is you can ellipse time. Yep. You can you can cut out everything you don't want from one shot to the other, even lines or reactions or whatever, uh, because the, the continuity of motion between the two shots makes it feel like it was intentional. That's right. And, yeah. and it eliminates and if, the bump there, you know?
0: Yeah, and it makes you feel like because Dolly just has like the, the idea of a dolly or a creep toward or away from a subject adds this kind of cinematic presence. It adds this feeling of emotion. Right. Uh, this and and so he's taking advantage of that. I mean, not the, again, not the first film, not the last film, but just one that did it, uh, increasingly well. I also think that, uh, a lot of it came from, uh, European cinema, right? Like the third yeah. man and stuff like that. Yep. Y- absolutely. Um, Okay. Oh, last thing I want to uh, talk about, camera movement. Obviously, there's a lot of handheld in both movies. At times in the fight sequences, we just go handheld straight up and whip around to distract the eye. Simple film grammar on display in both movies. That's not irregular. You know, you watch your your G.I. Joe retributions and you're going to get handheld because, you know, of what Greengrass did. Or, yeah, it was Greengrass, right, who really brought it in with the Born identity, the yeah, Bourne ultimatums that's, or that's whatever. The,
1: that's the most of it, yeah. They
0: talk about, that one is, we talk about the editing being all fucked, but, like, yeah. it was a thing at the, it, it's definitely more of a thing now and in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where it's just, like, handheld, just do handheld, you know, like, uh, even the James Bonds did it, you know, like, Casino Royale all the way till... Uh, I don't know, Skyfall. I want to say, um, it's just how you did action sequences. That was that's diehard. That is literally diehard. Well, and it's uh, such a
1: useful piece to yeah. like the, the nice thing about it is, and I don't know exactly if this is why McTiernan did it, but like handheld fight stuff, it, it just makes it so much easier to. Put all the pieces of a fight together without a bad stunt or a bad sh- gun or a bad kick or a like, so, like if you watch old eighties movies, there's always something lame in a fight scene, that that would have been fixed if they'd had a handheld shot, so that we yeah. wouldn't have had to look at how bad the fighting was or whatever. Yeah, you know, and, and then of course it went too far in movies like Bol- Born Ultimatum, where the movement is substituting for the fight, and it's right. like, no, 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 let me see the fucking fight, please.
0: And there's a um. There's a great uh, "Every Frame of Painting" video essay. If you haven't seen that video series, that's the you know, Jackie Chan one. De- the Jackie Chan one, saying yeah. like, using a wider angle. Um, well, that's and- why that was done, typically. Uh, and then you know we kind of started to get more telephoto and handheld with it until we went just absolutely nuts once Born Identity came out.
1: Born. That's the that's the one that's such a great marker for this technique has overtaken. Right. Uh, the actual story and cinema of it. Right. I will just say about the Every Frame a Painting. The great thing about it is you can you can actually see why Jackie Chan is one of the greatest actors, like movie stunt actors, mm-hmm. ever because he can actually do the action scene. The film is the, right. the movie is made because he can do it. Nobody else can do it. You know what I mean? And yeah. this is like a a smart way of uh, a smart film grammar thing that's become commonplace to fix that problem.
0: And that's why you still see it used today because as our, you know, aging superheroes <laughs> uh, occur, you know, you have your Harrison's Ford and I mean, my they God. still have yeah. to jump through these hoops. It's like, yeah, you can put, you, you want to rely on like stunt people to take care of this problem, and you, but you can only do that so much. So you do notice telephoto and cut, 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 and, you know, handheld stuff in those movies. Because it's just a very effective way to get around the fact that your leading man can't, like, jump over a fence, you know? Like, that's a hard thing for a human to do, so why are we expecting that, like, a seven-year-old man can do it? Um but Jackie Chan could, but that we digress. That's the thing
1: about, right. That's what makes him so incredible. Is that he that's can what makes it. it
0: incredible. And that's why yeah. he can exist in the wide shot because right. he can do it. Uh, right. Most of the time we don't do that as much. Uh, at least not that wide because it's not like these people are superheroes. Jackie Chan just happened to be one. Um, okay. Last one I want to kind of talk about is just while we're talking about the visual spectra, Lighting and color obviously is something that both films are going to be using in spades because it's a basic way how to distract your eye. Even dramas do this. You know, you watch like there will be blood and it's just a matter of like, Oh, there's a sequence where Kiernan, uh, Heinz is like, just appears out of nowhere and all our eyes get drawn to him. Why? Just because simple color and light, um, in both white house down and die hard. Once the attack starts, all these silent alarms start going off and we get these like uh, you know, swirling kind of light fixtures and flashing lights in most of these hallways. And it kind of adds to disaster effect. I think that that's something that Roland Emmerich just throws in every single one of his movies. Like we're sinking on a ship or, you know, like, you know, the meteor is coming or whatnot. And it's a nice touch, but they're not, and they're not the only movies to use that effect, but both those movies have them in spades and it adds to the kind of disaster element of the film. But really, when we're talking about like just like the visual strategies, I want to talk about contrast, which the flashing lights do add to because it's just another element of contrast, which is that in White House Down, it isn't the most contrasty film, but it does play in the dark a lot, especially in the later half. I think the the starker images pull out the shapes of things. You can see shapes more simply. That's why contrast kind of exists in the 2D plane. So when you move around in space, like a subject moves around a space and whatnot, it feels more drastic if you have a more contrast, if you have contrast between that subject and that background, because now you start to see them as kind of like a form as opposed to that's a human. It's like, that's the shape of a human. So it's more drastic and it's a good trick for a a movie, a movie picture, because you don't need to see the space as much as the objects that are swirling around in it. So you pick your background light, you pick your foreground light and you do a little dance and you don't have to show all the edges of the the frame. And we get that a lot in both movies. We'll see silhouettes and then we'll see them walk into light. And then right as they walk into light, we kind of move around and now the background is dark. It's this kind of dance that both movies do by maintaining that whatever we're lighting with the um, the foreground or whatever we're lighting the subject with. Maintain the highest contrast possible. So put your background and reverse it. Make it dark or make it light, in, you know
1: depending on the situation. And that's um, one of the most interesting Die Hard quotations, I would say. Because Die Hard, one of the things that makes it so cool is that it takes place at sunset, basically. Yeah. Like, it basically takes place... You know, like at least half the movie in the golden hour sunset. It's so great. Right. And so that means the lighting always feels very directional and there's a lot of contrast. Right. And it's that warm California color. And this. Like this the sky movie.
0: feels dim, the ambient yes, uh, s- the ambient brightness of the world is dimmer than yes. like daytime, but you still have that highly directional light that could correct the background. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This
1: movie decided it was going to take place almost exclusively at sunrise, mm-hmm. and so the lighting is equally directional. It looks like it's like seven in the morning. It's not that time. It's like ten or eleven, but it yeah. looks like the lighting looks like it's seven in the morning. It's you very know, like,
0: side light, which it's, you know. yeah, and
1: like it creates these like you know like it, it's what it looks like in your room if your room is lit, you know, open to the sunrise and like you know there's like shafty, foggy-looking, slight like slants of light, and people look like they're silhouettes, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. That to me is a very clear decision to nod at the directionality of Die Hard's light.
0: I think so. More I than anything a, else, that's the point yeah. of it. And I mean, you saw it in McTiernan, like really changed the grammar in that way because he loves that stuff. And so you get things like Last Boy Scout and such like that, like where it's that it's even that to the max but it's like you leave him you leave him to his own devices he's just gonna always do that and that's not necessarily something that um roland emmerich does but it is more prevalent in this movie i've never seen him do
1: it in a different movie No, i haven't watched he likes to be
0: clean and sleek yeah and there are sequences in fact he does this and it's very roland emmerich thing to do and i think i would argue that something that white house Down does even better than Die Hard is the color control. I agree. Um, It does. Which is that in several spaces that we see the film just like in Die Hard we see kind of like the warm yellows and oranges of the inside and then we get like kind of the cooler exterior. That is souped up to the max in White House Down because the White House interior is naturally kind of this off white gold yellow orange hue And then we cut to the outside and it's always the situation room of a classic Roland Emmerich film of like the team trying to figure out like, okay, so we got a man on the inside and you got Maggie Gyllenhaal there and Lance Riddick's there. And it's great. Uh, But all of that looks like more like a Roland Emmerich film because that looks like straight out of Moonfall where it's these sleek kind of uh, modernist blue screen designs, um, you know, with like, the white light of like my minor- minority report kind of shining everywhere. Um, it's this kind of, yeah, it's just the design of, that he likes. So what's cool about that. And what I think is almost an improvement on Die Hard, is that within a single frame, when we cut from, you know, Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx palling around, and then we cut back out to Richard Jenkins and, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, your brain has already registered within a single frame where you are without even realizing it, because you you you've been wa your eyes have been washed from this very warm kind of palette into a very cold one. Yeah, Diehard did this with several kind of effects, darkness, and there was a, a like a, a lighter, warm, cool system. But I think that the reason that this film has a leg up is probably that Roland Emmer cares. More about that aspect of the digital cinematography, but also the fact that years have passed and the availability of digital color grading and the power of it has changed completely like almost overnight in the 2000s. There's just more control of color in films
1: now. Period. It's become expected. Yeah. Uh, it, like films like Oh Brother Were Art, though, and Lord of the Rings and stuff made it yeah. so that, and same Brett Ryan that made it like- so that you have to do this for it to feel like a movie. Exactly. Um, and it does. It's, it's and really it does. nice.
0: It, it's it's nice that we live in that stage where it's like, it's just another trick that we use that we can hack the brain of audiences to be like, all right, so now you, you feel like this next thing feels right that we're cutting to this shot now. Uh, sometimes it can be hacky where it's like, oh, they didn't focus on the plot or, you know, <laughs> they, they, they a lot of directors can get away with all these buzz uh you know buzzes and whistles and be like up oh, distracted you got you You yeah. bitch but like it's also can be a very effective tool that when used it's just a lot of fun and i think that's basically kind of the end of my rant die hard okay. is great because so so many scenes and characters make the whole thing memorable I know I didn't talk a lot about that, but I mean, the great dialogue, the peak performances, it's all there for you to see. It's why we all like Die Hard, and all that shit feels like lightning in a bottle to me a little bit, because that's just a a gifted cast and crew with a great story. But what isn't lightning in a bottle is something that I feel near and dear to this podcast and to my opinion on when you go and watch movies is that the craft deployed by the craftspeople who made the film camera staging, lighting editing this shit is instrumental in you as the audience's take away of the pacing the rhythm and just visually enjoying the movie. So it's not just like oh that line was killer it's also setting you up to be like I'm ready for a killer line I think that they have that kind of elegant dance and it plays together well because you can have the greatest line in a movie and it's still like not really hit comedically oh, yeah. we've seen this time and time again all the time if you're not priming your audience to be along for the ride and this is something that like it's textbook Die Hard does it so well and honestly white house down does it too uh i think it's kind of a lost art to be honest with you uh there's a lot of the not a lot of compassion for this kind of thing in the, like the invisible hand of direction. Now it's it's more about the louder, more bombastic aspects of movie making. I think, but that's, well, that's all personal opinion, and doesn't need to be talked
1: about. That's where um, I have like a huge question for you that that ultimately decides like where I line up with the White Hart, White House Down, whether it's a successful Die Hard or not. And that question is, do you think that Die Hard Once Upon a Time in nineteen eighty eight felt believable to the audience yeah like this like this is a believable movie version of what could happen yeah yeah okay i think so so too i think that is part of the ingredient this doesn't feel like that Hmm. right like it never feels like oh my god this is what it would be like if they really locked down the white house it feels very bombastic even though oh, it's contained yeah. the from the minute. The stakes are
0: insane. Yeah, it's it's an insane movie, that's
1: for sure. That's the tricky thing about it is, even though it wants to be a diehard, it also wants to be like, and it's the fucking White House.
0: And it's the that, Super
1: Bowl, yeah. Right, that part of it is the thing that, like, on a premise level, robs it of the most successful diehardness it could have had. Mm-hmm. Right, and I know that's like, but Adam, that's why it got greenlit. I I completely agree, and it's a good movie. I think it's fun, but like the thing that made Die Hard so good is the everydayness of it. It once upon a time felt actually very uh, exciting because it was like this is a thing that could happen to a real guy. A real guy gets put in this situation, right? You know that seems stupid now when you watch it, but that is how it felt. I think. It I, oh yeah, ADA. yeah.
0: I mean, I I still feel like the every everymanness, but it, it's yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I don't think I'm not here to argue that White House Down is an instant classic. No, no, it's not quite. Hard.
1: Yeah, not quite. I want but it to be though. I liked it.
0: I liked it, and it's yeah. because I think it does some things that show off that language part of cinema, not just you know the the good quips that Channing Tatum does and Jamie Foxx does. Um, there is some. There's some cool scenes. There's a scene I like. The scene where. Uh, uh, James Woods' um, wife is like, "Oh, you're doing all. You're doing this, this for Kevin, yeah, for, or whatever for his our, name our, is. our dead, our dead son, yeah." And he's like, "Yeah, of course. This is that's all I to, I need to show them that they they fucked up." And she's like,
1: "Give do it whatever to you them. Need Kill to do. everybody. Yeah. Do <laughs> everything it's like you need to do. Total
0: one eighty from what you expect. It's pretty wild." They yeah. they bring in the wife to be like, why are you doing this? And it's like, no, she's a killer too. Um, and it's just like there's memorable aspects, there's cool scenes. I wouldn't say that there's you know, John McClane, uh, you know, tossing fucking Hans Gruber off out of the window kind of cool scenes.
1: But no, that's the best.
0: It's the it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, but it's really good. There is a lot to be to fall in love with, and I think it's. To Absolutely. the credit of the crafts, the craft people uh, working on the
1: show. So I, that's it. That's all. Yeah, it's it, this is well done. I, uh, it's it's good to, it's good to expose the formula. Yeah. You know, I because mean, like, I mean, look, let's be honest. A lot of movies and screenplays and stuff are drawing on templates, and mm-hmm. uh, this one is. It, it it's yeah. It is so interesting though how the differences from the template. Sometimes, like you, you, you hope that it will add to the film, but like a lot of times, it actually subtracts from these great films in some way or the other. Mm. Like in my opinion, and this, you know, this is not shitting on the movie. I just think that the premise is actually a detraction from Die Hard because it's a little bigger than it should be.
0: I think that's a valid. That's a that's a Roland Emmerich. Like that sounds like a a a problem we would all have with a Roland Emmerich Die Hard. Yeah, right? like yeah. Want It's like it you wanted to a little get so too big. big with it. Yeah, and that's. You know, if you hate that, that's dead on arrival for you because the whole concept of a I think a Roland Emmerich Pitcher is that he wants the stakes to be as high as possible. Uh so that's why it's called White House Down, you know, it's
1: And it's great it's great, but it also it leads to some things that I think ultimately like one thing it leads to is that the president has to also have a kind of action hero arc of of sorts. Right? Not mm-hmm. exactly the action hero, but like we gotta spend more time with the president and the president has to act heroically and like, uh, you know, and like, that just means we got to spend a more runtime in the situation. B, we got to subtract a little bit from the, the main character and his quest to get back to his daughter, you know, which is yep. like, it was so pure and distilled and die hard that it, that it never like, you know, it never really loses its focus in that way. And it's so great. This movie, you know, we need a little time with President Jamie Fox, right? Otherwise, we feel like we're being cheated. Uh, but mm-hmm. that time dilutes our enjoyment of and our connection to Channing Tatum's character to, to a degree. You know, it's it's a problem. It's it's a problem, and I put that in quotes. Like, it's a thing that makes it tough to make this movie work. You know. Yeah.
0: But I think you'll get no disagreement from me. Yeah. That uh, they both work and I I'd They do both a work lot of, yeah. a, lot of cr- a lot of credit goes to They both have A slick, amoral, goofy computer expert uh, <laughs> in White, House de- <laughs> White House Down yeah. uh, It's played by Jimmy Simpson You'll recognize him from the It's Always Sunny uh, yeah. In ph- Philadelphia He yeah, plays yeah, yeah. McPoyle uh, He's a delight There's a lot to be delighted in uh, he's having
1: a good time he knows what movie he's in for sure
0: oh man yeah. i can't wait to have i want to have a blockbuster where the uh <laughs> where the main villain is gail the snail <laughs> 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 yeah like another diehard air uh, air force one um you know that is same kind of thing happens you you have fun with the harrison ford oh. president uh, angle uh it's true that we are now you more in the uh Olympus has fallen where it's like everyone is so serious. Uh I mean I can I think I don't always want to point to 911 <laughs> but you know <laughs> it's there it's, yeah yeah but it's there but it's also true that the 2000s like the grittiness got to us, you know. And this is uh that's why you know James Bond's were gritty, that's why Batman was even grittier. Uh, A lot of good filmmakers who are doing gritty stuff and it's kind of just infiltrated the the lexicon at this point. That's my opinion. I don't know if I'm right about that, but it just feels that that's the natural tendency of uh, the last 20 years. Um, It's true. But there you go.
1: It's true. There you go. I could imagine a world 30 years from now that's that's doing sort of the anti white house down i mean well I, mm-hmm. let's i who knows how life will go let's suppose we have things go better in like and like it's all years years and we're doing a white house down and but... Lollipop cinder <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and or
0: we just we should, we need to go back to like the 1960s where everything was like a
1: musical man <laughs> just, you don't want the, that musicals are the worst don't tell me what i want you don't want it i know you don't want it. You're, just, <laughs> now you're just now you're just being a ghoul I'm not a ghoul. You're a ghoul. <laughs> you're a ghoul. Here's a song about it. You're a ghoul. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you're getting more musical. That, yeah, these, yeah, yeah, yeah. These guitar this, lessons have really been paying off. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> I don't have a callus on my soul. That's what I can tell you. You know, like, <gasps> Ha! Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I wish I said that. I'm going to take that and use it. Just lie one more time. Just lie one more time. <laughs>
0: All right, that's it. Right, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap up. I thought we up. did.
1: I thought we could have cut any of these.
0: <laughs> I thought the show was over eight different times already. It's probably true. Yeah. Um this is probably coming out uh let's say it comes out on Friday twenty first okay. of July. Uh so the things that you have to look forward to. Or if you're a Patreon, if you go to patreon.com slash there's a few more Patreon exclusives coming out, including like Razorblade Pie, where Michael Swaim basically talks to a friend about a uh, Harlan Ellison short story and why it applies to them. And they're like, I chose you to read this short story. It's a great show. I think this uh, one's me, we, actually. I think, it is. I think, yeah. It's an Adam episode. So I'm looking forward to hearing that one. Um, we also got an escape from the multi coming up in a week, uh, feature talking about last action hero with these two guys and Michael Swain. Uh, and we also got by to end the month, we're going to We're going to end with, uh, Kings of the King episode on Cujo. Oh, fine. we've been looking forward to that one. That's the one with the dog. Uh, that's it. That's it. Go, uh, patreon.com slash small beans. Give some scratch. And you can get access to basically half our catalog. There's other shows like uh, Star Trek The Next Futurama and Spielboys, which are collaborations with the Gamefly Unemployed Boys. Uh, Those are just podcasts you don't get if you're just attached to the free feed. And even the free episodes like this that eventually do hit the free feed, uh, you get like several weeks earlier if you are at the Patreon. So go visit us there. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody.